Amen. Thank you, Doug. Good morning, City Light. Hey, I am excited to be here this morning. It's been a fun weekend for me. Um, last night was the Imana Kids Gala um, that uh, raises money to support orphans over in Rwanda. And around here, we just love Imana Kids and what they do to love and care for vulnerable children um, halfway around the world. And so last night, about 250 people got together to celebrate what had been done, and they raised over $18,000 to support the work over there. It's incredible. Yes. So last night was a huge win, and then this morning we get a partner with parents who are uh, saying, hey, we want to raise our kids up to love and know the Lord, and I love doing that. I've always said there's more than one way to grow a church, and having babies is one of the fun ways to do it, right? And so we're excited about that, and we're going to dedicate as many of them as we can get. So that's right. (laughs) Uh, And now... It just keeps getting better because we get to jump back into the book of John. And we get to see Jesus, the author and sustainer of love. The one who empowers us with his love so that we can love orphans halfway around the world. And we can love our infants in their sleepless nights. And our children through their terrible twos. And the B.O.-saturated middle school years and teenage rebellion and all the rest, right? Jesus is the great giver of life and love. There is no one else like him and we can find life nowhere outside him. Amen. So we want to dive into his word together this morning. Um, Doug read it. If you want to grab your Bible or your app, you can turn to John 15. That's where we'll be. And while you do that, um, I'll tell you a story. Uh, A while back, I told you about a high school football game that I played in. Anybody remember this? I dropped three touchdown passes in a row in the end zone, wide open. This is not the defense's fault. The defense had more gaps in it than Doug's beard would if he let it grow out. I'm getting back at him now. This is a chance. Uh, I dropped three touchdown passes in a row. Uh, And then on fourth down, our star running back trots into the end zone for an easy touchdown. I was frustrated and embarrassed. And when you heard that story, I stopped there. You might have thought his night couldn't have gotten any worse, but it did. So I'm going to tell you the rest of the story this morning. On the very next play, um, after that touchdown, my team lined up for the kickoff, and I was on special teams, and so I ran out onto the field, and we lined up, stretching from sideline to sideline. I was second from my own sideline, my own team, and my coach had said to the kickoff team uh, dozens and dozens of times, guys, stay in your lane. What he meant was, you don't run at an angle, you don't swerve around, you stay in your lane, and that way as we're stretched across the field, we all run down, every man covers his ground, we should be able to uh, get the tackle. So he said this hundreds of times as we've been practicing, Uh, so I line up, but I've determined I'm going to redeem myself. I just dropped three touchdown passes. I got to do something here to make this right. And so I thought the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to tackle the returner. And it's going to be deep in their territory. And so I stand there waiting for the kick with the rest of my team. The kick soars into the air and it goes to the opposite side of the field. Which is a problem for me because I've determined I'm going to tackle that guy. And I'm on the wrong side of the field and I got to stay in a straight line. And so you know what I did? I just broke the plan. I'm making a beeline for this guy. And so I head across the field out of my lane. I'm at a dead sprint ready to lay a guy out with all of my like 112 pounds. And, and, and so I'm on a dead sprint. And all of a sudden, before I know it, instead of laying a guy out, 
I got laid out. I never saw it coming. I don't remember the hit. I don't know who the guy was that hit me, but what I know is at one moment I was vertical and the next I was horizontal. And as I opened my eyes and came to, uh, not only had I been laid out, the guy had knocked the wind out of me and so I couldn't breathe. And so I'm laying there. You can get the picture. I've just dropped three touchdown passes in a row. Um, now, uh, everybody who paid to get into this game to watch football was instead watching this little boy lay on the field uh, and uh, struggle to breathe. And to add insult to injury, my coach walks out to assess the situation, and the way that he solved getting the wind knocked out of you was to reach down and grab you by the belt and lift your pelvis into the air. Okay? Super awkward. I was laying there with my middle above my ends. It does not help. If you get the wind knocked out of you, don't do that. It's just uncomfortable, okay? Uh, I'm laying there struggling to breathe, uh, dealing with all this embarrassment and frustration, and my coach looks down at me and says, breathe, Eric, it's going to be okay, and next time, stay in your lane. (laughs) Now, I learned a couple lessons that night. First, I had no future in football. It's just not in the cards for a guy like me. But second, I learned... I should have stayed in my lane. That was what, it was, what I was designed to do. And, and leaving my lane made all these promises. You can be the hero. You can make things right. You can erase the embarrassment. But leaving my lane didn't deliver any of that. All it delivered was more embarrassment, more pain, and truth be told, a few stitches in my chin. Right? Not good. I should have stayed in my lane. And I think this morning, like my coach to me on that night, Jesus is asking us, inviting us, calling us to stay in his lane. These are the words he uses. John 15 verse 4. Abide in me. Stay in me. We don't use the word abide very often today, but it means to stay, to remain, to dwell, to not leave. And Jesus tells us to abide in him. Now, he says this word abide 10 times in 11 verses. If Jesus repeats a word that often, it's important, all right? This is not just good Bible study methodology. This is real life. The last couple weeks at my house, we've been working on using our words for kindness. And I bet I have said, uh, hey, were those kind words? Our words are supposed to be used for kindness. Use kind words. I bet I've said it half a dozen times every day for the last couple weeks. Why? Because it's important to me. And I want my kids to know it's important to me. We've all experienced this. If Jesus is repeating himself 10 times in 11 verses, it's because this is important to him, and he wants us to know it's important for us too. He says, abide in me. And so the question for us today is, how do we abide in Jesus? How are we to do that? And to answer, he gives us a picture. We abide in Jesus like a branch abides in a vine. Like a branch is connected to a vine. Like a branch gets everything it needs for life and health from the vine. We abide in Jesus like a branch 
to a vine. Let's look at John 15 together. Here are the first two verses one more time. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus lays out this picture, this illustration of vine and branches, and then he tells us who the players are. Jesus is the vine, the true vine. The father is the vine dresser, and we are the branches. Now, today we might hear an illustration like this, a word picture, and think of our garden out back, right? Like watermelon vines that stretch out across the lawn. But the disciples that Jesus is talking to here, they would have known their Old Testament really well. And it would, this picture would have evoked all kinds of other memories, all kinds of other thoughts in them. They would have started thinking about uh, the Psalms and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Hosea, where uh, the Old Testament talked about a picture of a vine. I wonder if their minds didn't go to Isaiah chapter 5 where Isaiah sings a love song to God about his vineyard. This is not the first time the picture of a vine has been used. So let me read to you from Isaiah this love song from the Old Testament. Isaiah says, Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, then hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. What Isaiah is saying is God loved his vineyard. He cared for it. He cultivated it. He protected it. And as he did all of that, he looked forward to enjoying the fruits of his vineyard. God loved his vineyard. Later on, Isaiah is going to say that there was nothing God could have done for his vines in his vineyard that he did not do. He did everything he could to care for them in love. Yet here's how the picture ends. Isaiah says, but it, the vineyard, the vines, yielded wild grapes. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The vineyard, though it was loved and cared for and cultivated, it only produced wild grapes. That word wild in Hebrew, it literally, it means stinking or worthless or poisonous, So what happened is God planted this vineyard, looked forward to its production and enjoying its fruit. He'd hewn out wine vats. And yet, although he'd planted it and cared for it, cultivated it and loved it, it only produced bad fruit. Literally, stink berries and poison berries. He had done all all that he could uh, for the vineyard, but the fruit was only putrid and poison. What he had intended for good turned out bad. You've experienced this, right? It's kind of like when the Huskers hired Mike Riley. 
the nicest guy in all of college football. I was supposed to turn the program around, but it didn't work out that way. I got to say, I love the Huskers. They have the best sermon illustrations I can find. Uh, what God intended for good only produced bad fruit. And that picture in Isaiah is an illustration of the state of mankind. Right? God looked out at the world that he created and he saw that it was broken and fallen. He, he chose the nation of Israel then to showcase his redemption. He created for them a vineyard and planted them in it. He revealed himself to them. He, he led them out of slavery. He parted the sea so that they could walk safely across uh, on dry ground. Their enemies could no longer pursue them. He provided for them food, bread from heaven when they were walking through a desolate desert. God provided judges and kings and prophets and priests to lead and guard and guide his people. He gave them the law so that they would know his goodness and could live in light of it. There was nothing God could have done for the people of Israel to showcase his redemption through them that he did not do. He loved them. And yet those people, those vines only produced bad fruit, injustice, and bloodshed, and outcry. Only stink and poison and worthlessness. See, the Lord, uh, the vineyard of the Lord had been prepared and loved, but the problem was in the vines. And so God made a promise. In Isaiah, God makes a promise that he's going to clear out the vineyard and he's going to start again. This is what that promise sounded like. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The promise of God to his creation was a new shoot, a new vine, new roots, a new branch, new fruit. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying what God promised in Isaiah is being fulfilled in me. I am the true vine. And in the true vine, there is no place for the old, stinking, poisonous, worthless, bad fruit of injustice and bloodshed and outcry. I will bear good fruit. That's what the disciples would have heard as Jesus said, I am the true vine. And I'm here to tell you today, City Light, that Jesus made good on that promise. Everything changed when the new vine grew, uh, grew out of the new shoot in the cleared out vineyard. Let me give you some examples. The old vine shed innocent blood of other people and so incurred guilt on itself. That was bloodshed. But the true vine shed his own innocent blood on the cross so that he could take on the guilt of those who had shed others' blood. You see the reversal? The, the fruit of the old vine was outcry because of injustice. But the fruit of the new vine, the true vine, was the opposite. It was a reversal. He came to endure injustice. He came to cry out himself from the cross 
so that he could go back to his heaven, sit on the throne, and hear the outcry of his people, and to, of all who would call on him, and send them his comforter, his helper, show them his love. The true vine, Jesus, the fulfillment of God's promise in Jesus, the true vine, is a beautiful image of what God would do because he loved his people. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Abide in me. All right? So we went back to Isaiah, the Old Testament, but we're in John 15. So uh, we need to come, we need to fast forward up to where Jesus is. And let's hear what he's saying to his disciples and to us. Uh, uh, This is just hours. Jesus is saying this just hours before he would endure all of the injustice and bloodshed and outcry of the old vine. Right? He's, He's about ready to head to the cross. And in that moment, our true vine calls us to abide in him. Like my coach, stay in your lane. Stay in my lane. Stay in the lane of my love. So uh, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, abide in me. But the picture has more players than just Jesus. He says, we are the branches. And we're supposed to abide in the vine. And so what does it look like for us as branches to abide in that vine? Well, I said Jesus uses the word abide 10 times in these 11 verses. Six of them are used to say, abide in me or abide in the vine. It means over half of them is this plea, this calling, this invitation. But the rest of the abides show us what that abiding looks like, shows us how to do that. Um, Two of them say, abide in my love. Okay, look with me at those. John 15, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So how do we branches abide in the vine? What does that look like? Uh, We don't abide in Jesus like a student to a teacher. The relationship isn't simply about learning from him, though we can learn a lot from him. Uh, We don't abide in Jesus like a fan to a celebrity. Uh, The the relationship isn't simply about excitement and praise, though we have all kinds of reason to praise him and be excited about him. uh, We don't abide in Jesus like a citizen to a government. The relationship isn't simply about following laws to escape punishment, though we ought to obey him, right? The relationship, we don't abide in Jesus like a customer to a salesman. The relationship isn't simply about completing a transaction, though Jesus does offer to accept all of our sin and guilt and credit us his righteousness and innocence, right? There is a transaction, but we don't relate to him simply like that. This abiding of a branch in a vine is different. Jesus says that branches abide in the vine like a son abides in a father. The relationship is primarily about love. See, like, I want to say today clearly and simply, Jesus loves you. 
Do you know that? I don't mean, have you heard that? Have you heard that Jesus loves you? I mean, do you know that Jesus loves you? Hallelujah. He, does, he does not love a former you before you messed everything up and things fell apart. He loves you. Jesus does not love a future you that uh, will be better when you've reached all your goals and produced everything you want to produce and gotten everything put together. Jesus loves you. Jesus does, doesn't love uh, who he sees on your Instagram feed when you're always looking right with the right filter and even your worst of moments are made better with a clever caption, right? Jesus loves you. See, like, Jesus is the lover of his people. He enjoys, like a vine knows, branches must be connected to him to get life and bear fruit. Jesus loves giving his branches what they need for life and fruitfulness. Later on, Jesus is going to say, you did not choose me, but I chose you. This just tells us more about his love, right? It's not an obligation for him to love us. It's a choice. And so I ask you, have you ever experienced somebody choosing to love you? The joy of being chosen to be loved. My uh, city group serves at uh, Trailblazers once a month, and it is an awesome ministry to um, underprivileged kids right here in Council Bluffs. Dave and Sherry Smith lead it. They're right here in our church. Uh, We go serve there once a month, and part of my favorite thing, one of my favorite things about serving at Trailblazers is how they begin each night. They gather all these kids together, and Dave takes a microphone, and he recites the guiding principles that he's trying to instill in these kids to live by, to know and love Jesus, to walk in his ways, to love one another, to faithfully pray. Good words to live by. So Dave says that in the microphone, and then he asks all these kids, maybe 60, 80 kids, hey, anybody want to come up here and recite them in the microphone? And as you would expect, a couple dozen hands shoot up immediately and a few more follow along. And you know who Dave chooses? Every one of them. Because he loves every one of them. And so with with their hands raised, they wait and hope and long for Dave to call their name. And he does it. He calls one by one, sometimes in pairs when they're really shy. He calls each kid out by name. And some of those kids are so excited that they race and jump down the aisle so they can get to that microphone and shout the guiding principles into it. And others are more shy and reserved, and they love being picked by Dave, but they're kind of embarrassed by all the attention of everybody else. And so they kind of slowly walk down the aisle, and they say those guiding principles at just above a whisper into the mic, right? And it's beautiful, and it takes forever but I can't think of any better use of time because what Dave is showing them is the love of being chosen, of being called out by name and known and picked. And what Jesus is saying here is, oh, I love you and I chose you and I call you by name. Do you know what that's like, City Light? Jesus chooses to love you Today, not the person next, well, the person next to you, of course, but not just the person next to you, okay? He loves you 
Today, let it sink into your heart. Don't think about somebody else that needs to hear this. Think about you and how you need to hear this. So Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And remember who he's saying it to. He's saying this to his friends who hours later, that same night, would not choose Jesus, right? If you're wondering, would Jesus ever choose me? Uh, is Jesus choosing me? I don't know if I'm good enough for that. Jesus, remember the people that Jesus is talking to. Peter is in that group. Peter had just told Jesus, I will never abandon you. And Jesus said, oh, yes, you will. Tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Before the sun rises, three times, you'll abandon me. And, and, and Peter did. After he had stepped out of a boat and walked on water to meet Jesus in the middle of the sea, after Peter had climbed a mountain to see Jesus transfigured in glory, talking to Moses and Elijah, after all that he had been through with Jesus, Peter still denied even knowing him as Jesus made his way to the cross. Peter turned out to be a liar, a traitor, and a coward who would choose denying Jesus over loving the one who loved him. And you know what, City Light? Jesus chose and loved Peter anyway. Thomas was in that group. Thomas had followed Jesus uh, for three plus years. After everything that he had heard Jesus say, after everything that he had seen Jesus do, Jesus died on the cross and was buried in a grave, and somebody told Thomas, Jesus is risen again. And Thomas refused to believe it until he could touch the hands, the pierced hands inside of Jesus, his friend. Thomas was a doubter, and he refused to choose Jesus until Jesus would prove himself yet again. And you know what, City Light? Jesus chose and loved Thomas still. I think there are probably some people here in the room this morning who might have trouble believing that Jesus loves you or would choose somebody like you. You're having trouble believing that Jesus' invitation to abide in his love, to to stay there and dwell there and remain there, to stay in the lane of Jesus' love, you're having a hard time believing that that is an invitation for you. Maybe you relate to Thomas's doubts. You have more questions than answers and you're waiting for proof. Maybe you can relate to Peter's denial and rejection. Maybe you've tasted the love of Jesus and run from it and denied it. And now you're wondering, would he ever have me back? Can I encourage you this morning? Jesus loves you still. He loves you right in the middle of the doubts that you have right in the middle of the pain that you're experiencing, right in the middle of the guilt that you're feeling about the things that you have done, right in the middle of the shame that you're feeling about the things that you have not done. Jesus knew what Peter and Thomas had done and would do. He loved them still. Jesus knows all that you have done and all that you will do. And I'm telling you from his word, he loves you still. His invitation is for you. He says, I am the true vine. Abide in my love. It is a wonderful invitation. And so, City Light, I would ask you, can we be a people that abide in the love of Jesus, that stay in his lane? So I want to end today 
uh, with just a couple real practical ways that we might be able to do that. If we know that Jesus is the true vine who's chosen us and loved us and invited us to abide in his love, how do we get practical? How do we do that? What does it look like? Um, Jesus, I think, tells us. There are probably a lot of ways. He tells us two in this passage. Um, we abide in his love through his word and prayer. Here it is, verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. My words abide in you, he says. So how do we do that? Uh, Let me just ask first, do do Jesus' words abide in you? At City Light, uh, we love the Bible. We believe that all of it is God-breathed and useful for teaching and reproof and correction and training and equipping. We read it and study it and memorize it and celebrate it and preach it and love it. We, the Bible is God's word to us and we treat it like that around here. We do that because we believe that abiding in Jesus' love in part has to do with his word abiding in us. And so I'd ask you, do Jesus' words abide in you? Uh, I, I uh, was talking to a friend of mine um, a while back, and he said, Eric, I just have trouble reading. I'm not good at it. Um, but I want to do this. I want to be in God's word. And so the way that he decided to uh, let God's word abide in him, to pursue that, was to intentionally check in when we read the Bible before the sermon on Sunday mornings. He said, if you don't read it on Sunday, I don't know it. Now that changed the way that I think about reading God's word before the sermon, right? If he doesn't hear it, he doesn't know it, well then that means every Sunday we are going to read straight from God's word because we want you to know it. See, like, can, can I just ask you, what I asked him, would you take the next step toward, toward pursuing this God's word abiding in you, dwelling in you? Maybe for you, that's just checking in instead of checking out when the uh, passage is read on Sunday morning. Maybe for you, that is taking your Bible that's been on the shelf for a while and uh, pulling it off the shelf and opening it up this week to read it. If you don't know where to start, jump in in John, where we're going through uh, right now on Sundays, and study it with us. John's a great place to start. Whether it's a few verses, a chapter, a few chapters, it doesn't matter. Just open it up and read it. Let God's word abide in you. Maybe for some of you that have been reading for a long time, uh, the next step is memorizing it. Uh, We actually value memorizing scripture around here. We think it takes these words off of these pages and etches them onto our hearts. The word abides in us. Uh, I, I ask you these things. Not because I want you to read the Bible to get smarter or be a better Christian. I ask you to take these steps because it's, how we, it's one way that we can stay in the lane of Jesus' love. It's how we remind ourselves that uh, he loves us. The Bible is so much less a rule book than it is a love letter. So w- would we abide in him and allow his words to abide in us? And lastly, uh, how do we abide in the vine? Um, we pray. We ask Uh, Jesus says, ask. And so how do we abide in the vine? We ask Jesus to do that in us, to make it happen. So do you wish that you were abiding in the vine more? Ask Jesus to make it happen. 
Do you wish his word was abiding in you more? Ask Jesus for help. If the Bible's intimidating for you, ask Jesus to make it not as intimidating, to help you read through it and find something good. Do you have doubts like Thomas did and wish you had more certainty? Ask Jesus to prove himself to you. Ask Jesus to confirm himself to you. Do you, like uh, Peter, uh, have you denied Jesus and wish you could be reconciled to him? Ask Jesus for forgiveness. He loves to forgive his people. Prayer isn't so much rubbing a lamp and getting a genie to give you a Mercedes this afternoon. It's not like that. Prayer is so much more a way that we stay in the lane of the love of Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask us to love him without him loving us. And Jesus doesn't ask us to be loved by him without loving him back. He says, I love you. Would you abide in that love? Would you ask me for what you need? I want to give it to you. So, City Light, branches abide in the vine through his word and prayer. It is good news that Jesus is the true vine. He has chosen and loved branches like you and like me, and he invites us to abide in that love. Let's stay in the lane of the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, great and awesome God, uh, I love your word. And I love that um, there's consistency throughout it. The pictures that Jesus talked about are pictures that you've talked about since the beginning. And so we can hear his words and see the fulfillment of all that you had hoped and planned for um, in your people. And yet, God, those words also just apply to us today. So, God, if there are people here who've been following you for a long time, um, who say, yes, I've seen, I know the love of the vine. I've abided there and I've seen fruit of that. God, would you not let us be satisfied with the fruit that has grown in the past? Would you compel us to stay uh, connected and remaining and abiding in you? Would you continue to bear much fruit in us? And God, for people who are here today that have never known the life, the love of the vine in their own life, they've never seen the fruit of um, your love in their life, um, God, I pray today, would you call them? Would you beckon them? Would you answer their questions and calm their fears? God, would you address their doubts and um, forgive their rebellion? And God, would you, would you even graft in new branches to your vine this morning? Would you bear new fruit among these people in this room, even this morning? God, would you do what only you can do? Give your branches life. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.